Hello, fellow planeswalkers, and welcome to Into the Aether Vortex. My name's Ninja Boy, your guide into all the different ways you can enjoy Match the Gathering and how they all come to get into something wild, wacky, and a little bit magical. So a lot has happened in the last week or so. I've been grinding away at standard ranked with blue-red aggro. Uh, hopefully by this time you guys are listening to this, I'll have reached diamond for the first time ever, though not looking likely. You know, hope, fingers crossed I can I can back up some wins in this last day or so before the season ends. Uh, Spoiler-wise, we got the contents for Commander Collection Green, uh, as well as the first few cards from Commander Legends coming this November. Uh, spoiler season for Zendikar Rising starts this coming Monday, um, so I'll be doing my usual spoiler threads on reddit for spoiler season uh, all that being said you know i wanted to start a new mini series on this podcast uh while magic is a great game in and of itself uh it's been hugely influential in the trading card game genre it by no means is the only tcg slash ccg or collectible card game out there uh, hearthstone pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh. they all owe some design sensibilities to magic um, though of course they all have their own twists on the pillars of game design uh so that it, that they think they can do better or maybe just have a different end goal than what magic was so this week and in, in other episodes you know maybe not next week specifically but you know in future episodes i like to tackle the game design of other tcgs out there so that i can compare and contrast um their game design with how magic was designed and then by having it in contrast to other games you can i can then better understand and thus appreciate how and why magic is designed the way it is and what it affords us. Uh, not again, not to say that one is going to be better than the other, but simply to understand the implications of those design choices. Now, a lot of game design, as people think about it, you know, there's all the stuff about the economy and, you know, the interface and all that. I'm not going to be looking at any of that. Um, I'm going to be looking primarily at the core mechanical game design, the, um, you know, the... The, the what happens when you hit start mats from the menu um, and then you know how the turn by turn mechanics of the game differ game to game um, I'm also by no means you know aside even within magic but you know definitely in other card games I'm by no means a competitive player usually my experience will be limited to you know whatever casual play I've been I've been working in um, so I can't really speak too much with you know competitive meta um, but again if we're just looking at at a base level what does the game design look like um, that that's wouldn't be necessary to understand the meta. So the game for this week I'm going to be talking about actually had some Magic Pro's help in the design, and ultimately one of them, uh, Sados over Innistrad Pro Tour winner Steve Rubin, actually ended up becoming the design lead for the game and now works for Riot. Um, we are talking about Riot's uh, Legends of Runeterra. So Legends of Runeterra is the game by Riot, the wildly popular MOBA League of Legend uh, producer. Um, you know, it's their first foray into the CCG genre. Um, after their initial success with League of Legends, they expanded in 2019 to the Auto Battler Team Fight Tactics, which has a lot to do, I think, with how draft is designed and, and how how you can play draft. You can, I think, become a better drafter by becoming a better Team Fight for Team Fight Tactics player. But that's a whole other episode. Um, and so, you know, this year in 2020, uh, they came out with the popular first-person shooter Valorant, um, as well as the C. CCG, again, Legend of Runeterra, which is what we're talking about today. Um, they also apparently have an unnamed fighting game coming down the road, so they're looking really to diversify beyond, um, you know, their initial success with League of Legends. So, you know, 
getting down to it, I think the basic mechanics, a lot of are pretty similar, right? Uh, in at least for constructed, right? So you and your opponents both start off with twenty life. Uh, in League of, in Legends of Terror, it's the Nexus kind of calling back to League of Legends. Um, there's twenty life for each player. Uh, you have a deck of cards that represent creatures, you know, called units or allies, um, and spells that you can try to cast that eventually will get your opponent down to zero, uh, mostly through some form of combat with your creatures. Um, you have a resource, mana, that allows you to cast these spells on allies and, you know, more powerful spells, you know, be they higher statted creatures with more abilities or spells with more of an impact, uh, those require more mana. Um, there are some subtle differences, you know, uh, decks are 40 cards as a, with a max of three copies of any one card, um, as opposed to Magic's uh, 60 card uh, with with four of any copy. Um, also, in Legends of Terra, it is exactly 40 cards. You can have no more, no less. Um, and then also, your starting game, starting hand is uh, four cards in hand, though you do draw in your first turn. Um, you can mulligan once per game by choosing any number of cards from your hand, starting four cards, and then shipping them back, and then you draw that many cards, you get up to four. So you don't go down anyway. Right? It's basically just to help with card selection. Um, your max hand size is 10. You cannot go more than 10. There's no way to, as of right now, to increase this hand size at end of turn. Um, so yeah, now, okay, looking at magic, in the normal magic game, uh, each turn has what's known as an active player and a not active player. Uh, the active player is the one who draws and untaps uh, their mana so they can cast sorcery speed spells, um, and they're the ones who declare attacks during combat. Um, also, fun rules thing, if there's uh, you know stuff on the stack that has to resolve, it resolves in the order of active player first and then non-active player um, if, thing, if things resolve uh, trigger simultaneously. Um, you also likely know, if you play Magic, that there's a set turn order. So you untap your lands and all your permanents, uh, you have your upkeep or upkeep effects take place, uh, you draw your card, and then there's main phase one where you can cast spells, which passes to the combat step, declare attackers, declare blockers, um, damage step, and then cleanup, uh, or end, end of combat, uh, main phase two, where you can, you know, again, cast sorcery seed spells, and then the end step, where things kind of clean up, um, end of turn effects go away, damage gets resolved, and, and you discard down the hand size. So in Runeterra, a little bit of a terminology difference, which actually does matter. Uh, turns are referred to as rounds. So within rounds, both players take turns performing actions um, until they either use up all their mana or they choose to pass the turn. Uh, once both players pass the turn, then uh, the next round begins, um, and then you know the other player kind of takes the lead. Um, actions you can take during your turn include casting spells and summoning creatures, or again, allies. Um, and then there's one player, we'll call them player one. Um, they start off the game with what's known as the attack token. And so if you have the attack token, uh, you, one of your actions can be you initiate combat. More on that in a little bit. Um, however, there is no set time when you need to do combat, right? Uh, but well, again, we'll get to that in, in a second. Uh, once they do attack, they use up that token for the turn, and generally they can't attack again. Um, you don't need to attack per turn, um, but, you know, if you do, then that's pretty much it. Um, however, you know you can still do stuff after after 
combat if you have the mana to do so. Um, there are mechanics uh, where you can get additional combat steps. So for example, there's a subset of creatures that are scouts. Um, if only scout creatures attack, they basically have their own attack step uh, before your regular attack token is used up. Um, so that function acts as a second combat step. There's also the keyword rally, which whenever you rally, you gain the attack token. So you can do stuff like, you know, attack with your creatures using your normal attack token, uh, cast a creature that has the rally ability, um, and then when you rally, uh, you get another attack token and you can attack again within the same turn. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you can, if you're the opponent player, and we'll get to this again in a little bit, uh, if you're the defending player, you can also cast creatures on that turn, and then if you are defending, you don't have the attack token, you cast a creature with rally that gives you an attack token. It doesn't take it away from the opponent who had it initially, you just both have it. And then it becomes a game of who will be attacking first, or are you going to wait till the other person attacks, that maybe the defenders have gone away. Um, so yeah, uh, anyway... Uh, you can also combine the scouts and rallies where you can like have a scout and then have your normal attack and then you rally and then you attack again and then you can attack again. So uh, as noted within each phase, there isn't a set phase order. Uh, if you're player one, again, the one who starts off with the attack token, uh, you can choose to attack first before you use your mana to cast spells in the hope that, you know, you don't let your, you don't give your opponent a window uh, to summon an additional blocker or to remove one of your attackers with a spell. Um, alternatively, you could opt to instead save your attack to be the last thing you do um, to let your opponent use up all of their mana to ensure they're not able to have you know any speed instant speed interaction during combat uh, to mess with your attacks um, or maybe you don't have attackers and you need you actually need to spend your turn building up and then attacking um we'll get into the logistics of combat a little bit later uh, but as i said once that both players have both passed or once you're out of mana um which will automatically pass for you the round is over and then the other player gets the attack token so how do you cast your spells? Well, again, as I said, there's a mana system. Uh, however, one of the biggest changes, that's a, that's a pretty big change from the magic mana system. In magic, we incorporate our mana base into our deck in the form of lands. Um, we have to draw our lands, play the lands one per turn, um, generally without any additional rule breaking. Um, and then we can tap that land for mana. Again, some lands enter tapped, which means we don't get that mana until the future turn. Um, in Runeterra, much like other digital uh, digital card games, they opt for a incremental passive turn-based mana system. So on turn one, on round one, both players have access to one mana. Um, you don't need to do anything; you just have it. Um, in round two, you then have access to two mana, and so on and so forth, up until turn ten or uh, round ten, you have available ten mana to you, and then in further rounds, you have a max of ten mana. Um, now, there is a mechanic. Now, in fact, there's actually a mechanic, I think it's called Enlightened, where it'll trigger when you only have 10 or more mana uh, available. Now, mana refreshes between each round, um, regardless of who's the attacking player. So, you know, if uh, if I cast something on, you know, turn on round one with one mana available to me, um, it's not like I have to wait until I'm the attacking player again to be able to have mana. Round two, I will then also have mana, even though the other player is the one attacking, which is why it becomes important where, you know, if I put down an attacker round one um, and then I attack, they all have haste. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and then, you know, round two, uh, but then that ends up killing my creature. Round two, if they have a creature that survived that combat, they can swing in before I have an ability to put down a blocker. Um, so, uh 
you know, it's kind of it's almost as if you had like a seedborn muse or a prophet of crucifix that basically gave you access to your mana every on your opponent's turn as well as your turn. Or again, in Legends of Terror, you have mana all your mana available every round. Um, so unlike Magic, where you know once your opponent has tapped out their mana, uh, you know you have free reign until their next untap step, uh, and you don't have to worry about flashing in creatures or combat spells. Um, Lunterra, their resources are available to them, so you always need to be on guard. Um, since colors aren't really a thing in Lunterra, any mana can be used to cast any spell. Um, more on the color pine a little bit. Now, okay, this one mana per turn is similar to other digital card games like like Hearthstone, for example, but Returner does have a core that makes it a little bit more like Magic. So at the end of each turn, you know, as with Magic, your mana pool empties uh, of any leftover mana you have not spent. So, you know, Heuristic in games, you want to spend as much mana as you as you can in order to uh, in order to make, you know, if you're spending more mana, you're doing more things, therefore you're getting closer to winning the game. However, instead of disappearing up to, into nothing, up to three mana uh, from your mana pool, if you haven't used it, will empty into what's known as your spell mana pool. Um, and basically you can bank it for future turns to cast spells, i.e. anything that's not a creature or an ally, um, so only spells. Um, any spells you cast in future turns will use the spell mana first before your normal mana for that turn. Um, this has potential for, you know, this banking has potential for one-time ramp uh, while, you know, preserving tempo If even if you didn't do anything. It's kind of, you know, as I said, you want to be using up your mana efficiently. Sometimes the most efficient use of your mana is to not use it this turn, but then in future turn, uh, use a more powerful spell, right? Again, more powerful spells you only co- usually cost more mana. Uh, this, this comes at the cost of maybe being weaker to more aggressive strategies where you're not affecting the board. So, for example, say round three, you decide to do nothing. Uh, your mana empties from your spell pool, from your mana pool into your spell mana pool, so you have three mana in your spell mana pool. Uh, and then round four, you get access to the four mana that you would normally get since everyone gets all their mana each round. So then you have access to seven mana for a spell. Three ma- um, the three mana spell mana, the three spell mana, plus the four normal mana. So, you know, this is kind of like ramping ahead, and you can cast seven mana spells earlier on in the game, which can be pretty powerful. Um, again, your opponent does have access to this as well, so there's never really a case um, where you are getting ahead in mana unless perhaps maybe your opponent uses up all their mana now, and then this turn you have a temporary advantage in mana, though, again, that will kind of even out over time. Um, you could even, instead of casting one giant seven mana spell, cast two smaller spells, a three mana and a four mana spell, or a two mana and a five mana spell. Um, again, both have to be spells. Um, so, you know, that's just the way they try to, you know, play strategically. Uh, speaking of spells, there are three kinds. Um, so, you know, magic has instants and sorceries. Um, you know, there aren't really any equivalents to enchantments or artifacts. Um, you know, they're all basically some sort of creature. Um, so, you know, spells are things that don't exist on the board, like the non-permanence. Um, so instants and sorceries, um, you know, in magic, sorceries are things you can only cast uh, on your turn and when you have priority, right? When there's nothing on the stack. Uh, in Runeterra, um, you know, both spells can be cast whenever, you know, Again, similarly, whenever there's nothing on the stack, essentially when it's your turn within a round. Um, and, you know, once it's resolved, the turn passes to the opponent. Um, you know, they can be responded to by the next type, fast spells, which are basically instants. Um, like instants, they can also be responded to by other fast spells, other instants. This creates a sort of stack. Um, so a stack in Lens of the can have up to 10 spells in it, um, and they will be, uh, you know... Um, 
they will be resolving at, until they, and then you can keep on adding stuff to the stack um, until it either reaches 10 spells or at least one player passes without casting a spell. Now, one of the things though is that once you start uh, resolving the stack, you can't interrupt the stack by cast adding more spells to the stack. It's kind of like apparently in Yu-Gi-Oh! there's something called spell chains where once a stack has started resolving, you can't jump in into the middle of it, right? So, you know, what you could do is, um, you know, maybe I cast a giant growth on my creatures to make it bigger. My opponent counters my... Uh, counters my giant growth so then what i do is okay let me um you know try to counter your counter spell um so then okay maybe then they let my the counter spell resolve before the giant growth resolves they could then you know maybe do a removal spell on my creature you know uh which makes it my creature go away anyway and the giant growth fizzle so you know you can't do that once something has a chain of stack has started kicking off in legends of terror you can't interrupt that um you know uh you can cast multiple fast fast spells back to back, um, but you have to do it before your opponent has priority to add add spells to the stack. So you can't say, okay, I'm going to cast this fast spell. Your opponent, and then see, will my opponent, um, will my opponent, you know, let it resolve? If so, um, I'm going to add another one to the stack. You know, you have to like do both, and then if they pass, um, again, because you can't interrupt, it'll have you can't you can't have the opportunity to cast a second spell unless you do it all at once. Um, there are more shenanigans with how triggered abilities from creatures interact with the stack, and they can be responded to. Again, I'm not a competitive player. I don't have a firm 100% grasp on how that works. Um, so if anyone knows out there, you know, let me know. Um, so anyway, the last kind of spell are burst spells. Think of these as like instants with split second, or more accurately, probably the old school interrupt card type, or even better, a special ability, right? Like so, monstrosity, for example, from uh, Theros. Uh, you could pay the monstrosity's cost. It didn't take the stack, um, and so you know it just happens instantly. There's no way they can respond to it. Um, or like with morph, you can unmorph a creature right by paying its, its, its unmorph cost. Um, that me doesn't uh, cannot be responded to. Same thing here. Um, they don't use, so burst spells. They don't use your turn um, when cast at sorcery speed. They don't add to or create uh, or use the stack in the chain, um, and they can't be responded to by your opponents. Fast spells, on the other hand, you can cast them in response to stuff, or you can also cast them at sorcery speed, but that will still take up your turn. Um, this is particularly useful for burst spells that are combat tricks or buffs, since the targeted ally cannot be removed before the spell resolves, kind of protect protecting this blowout from the two for one from happening. Now, uh, spells are, of course, cards you put into your deck. Some cards, however, create spells out of nowhere and put them into your hand. Uh, these are a powerful form of card advantage because, you know, uh, you know, you're basically getting a card from free out of nothing, right? It's kind of why abilities on creatures are, are pretty powerful as well, uh, enter the battlefield or, or otherwise in magic. Um, now, sometimes these are offset by create the newly created spells having fleeting. It's a keyword on them that makes it user loser, kind of like Red's impulse draw, um, where the created spell will disappear at the end of the turn. Uh, this is something that, you know, Runeterra is able to do like kind of create these you know dummy token cards almost out of nowhere because it's a digital platform and they can create cards and spells out of nothing as needed uh, the other major type uh, of card are allies. Uh, so, you know, the equivalent of magic's creatures. Um, and, you know, a lot stays the same. You know, as noted, they have a specific mana cost, so you pay to summon them. Uh, sometimes there's an additional cost you have to pay. Um, they have a power, they have health or toughness. Um, and, you know, there's often additional card text beyond, you know, just being a vanilla creature of this much power versus, you know, power and toughness for this much mana cost. Um, you know, 
some have enter the battlefield effects, some have when this creature die effects. Um, you know, there are various keyword abilities that are analogous to magic's keyword abilities. Like elusive is basically flying, basically unblockable unless for other creatures with elusive. Um, Lifesteal is straight up lifelink. Overwhelm is trample, excess damage uh, through creatures goes through to your nexus and deals damage to you directly. Um, quick attack is first strike, though only when you're attacking, not defended, as I have found out many times. Um, one major difference is that health is persistent between rounds, as opposed to magic, where damage marked on the, car on the creature is reset each turn so long as the marked damage does not exceed the creature's toughness. Um, so, you know, in Runeterra, in magic, I have a six toughness creature. You need at least another six power creatures to be able to deal damage. Whereas in Runeterra, you know, if I have a six toughness, six health creature, you know, I get into combat, it's blocked by a three power creature, I destroy it, um, and then I'm attacked by a two power creature, and, you know, I can destroy that, but I only have one health left, so any combat I get into or any direct damage spell to it will kill it. Um, so, it, it, you know, this can take the place over multiple turns. Um, as such, some keywords specifically interact with health. Uh, barrier, for example, will create a barrier on the creature that will prevent the next damage of any amount that the unit will take in a given turn. Um, regeneration, you know, are exceptions where health will regenerate between rounds. Um, and then tough uh, essentially reduces the amount of damage a creature takes by one. So a creature with toughness, if there's a two damage, you know, burn spell, it would only take one damage. And then if it gets in combat with a one power creature, well, it's not going to take any damage because that one power is reduced to zero. Um, buffs to creature are also usually sometimes permanent um, and you know they don't last until end of turn so if you have a buff that boosts your toughness that's basically the same thing as healing to a certain degree. Um, and there are also spells that also just heal damage inherently. Um, though it doesn't give you toughness more than what you originally started out with. Um, all creatures, as I mentioned before, they all have a haste, essentially, so as soon as you summon them, they can basically uh, attack immediately. Um, and then they also all have vigilance inherently. So creatures that you use to attack one turn, it's not like they can't uh, block the next turn when it's your opponent's turn with the attack token. Um, you know, so some units have specific creature types, spiders, sea monsters, and something called elites, which are basically like elite soldiers. Um, not every creature has a creature type, though. Um, there are also token creatures um, that can be created by effects, similar to magic. Though, interestingly, whereas in magic, if a token leaves the battlefield to either the graveyard or um, your hand, um, it ceases to exist. In Runeterra, because the digital card game system can track tokens, it can bounce a token back to your hand, and tokens also often have a mana cost associated with them, which you can play to recast the token. Likewise, you could potentially, from some effects, reanimate a token uh, back to the battlefield. Um, you know, you can have, a, uh, there's a limit on the number of units on field. You can have up to six creatures. Um, if you want to summon a new creature when you already have six on the field, you need to destroy one of your existing units, which I believe does not trigger any death uh, when this creature dies abilities. Um, in addition, you know, if there are any new token creatures that are created by a card's effect, um, you know, if you already have six creatures, um, the token will simply not appear. And it won't, again, also will not trigger any die effects or when this creature dies effects. Um, some tokens are ephemeral, which means they get sacrificed at the end of the turn in which they are created, um, or once they deal combat damage, uh, you know, deal damage in combat. Um, now, this use of health as a persistent and buffs being permanent is, again, Runeterra taking advantage of the digital platform to be able to track things that are harder to do on paper. Um, what was perhaps the most mind melty for me is that uh, you can add buffs to creatures not on the battlefield. There are some effects that will, you know, plus two, plus two to a creature in your 
your hand. So if it was a 1-1 creature, when you cast the creature next, uh, it becomes comes down as a 3-3, which is kind of wild to me. There's even stuff where you know the top creature on your deck, which you haven't seen yet, uh, will get a plus 2, plus 2 on it. So when you draw it, it's already inherently bigger. Um, some cards, some mechanics also care about whether a creature on the top is from the same region as the creature you just cast. Uh, more on regions uh, in a little bit. So, you know, Runeterra pushes this whole digital tracking even further with its champions. Um, if you play League of Legends, champions are essentially the heroes, you know, that you that you play with in League. Um, and so they're the, they're the IP that uh, Riot has based, you know, uh, Legends of Runeterra and most of their games off of. Think of it kind of like a commander from EDH, but instead of sitting in the special commands and you can cast them wherever, you know, they have to go into your deck. So this is kind of where instead of having lands in your deck and hoping you draw lands and you're able to get it, they kind of trade that off for, oh, will I be able to draw my champion to do its thing this game um you know in your card of 40 again deck of 40 you have to have at least six cards be champion cards um since any one card can have up to three uh, copies of it you need to have at least two different champions in your deck now these cards being the face faces you know kind of like planeswalkers of the deck uh they're generally going to be pushed and a lot more powerful than, than normal units. Normal units are called followers. Um, but things get crazy when you talk about level up. So when you meet some condition in game, uh, champions get triggered and they level up, uh, which can't be responded to. Um, now, you know, when, now when champions level up, uh, they get a stat boost, they get additional abilities. Uh, but the thing is, it's not just champions on the field that level up. If you have three copies of a champion in your deck, or in, in your deck once on the field um, and then you trigger the ability, the condition in order to uh, make it level up. If you have a copy in your hand, it'll go from the level one version to level two. It's kind of like if you had double-faced cards that all just transformed when a certain condition was met, kind of almost like... Um Almost like the city's blessing, right? Uh, from Ix from rivals of Ixalan. When you get ten permits on the field, you know cards with ascend have some ability, um, or you have the monarch, right? Um, same thing here. When uh, you have some ability, it triggers, and not just what's on the field, but also in your in your hand and in your deck. Um, again, this takes advantage of the digital platform being able to track things that would be too complicated to do in paper. For example, one champion uh, levels up when you have cast seven spells over the course of a game. Um, another one will level up when you are down to only 15 cards in the deck, um, often accomplished via self-milling. Um, speaking of uh, self-milling, another champion will level up when you've tossed or milled uh, a certain number of cards or had a number of creatures uh, die in, in, in combat. Now, if you have a champion on the field, um, all other champion cards uh, in your deck and in your hand will transform into a champion spell, kind of like their signature spell based on their lore, right? Um, you can cast that spell for, you know, as you would any other spell, but when that spell resolves, it gets shuffled back into your library so you can draw it again, right? It's kind of the idea that this is a champion you have, they will always have access to their signature spell, right? If you can draw it. Um, once the champion on the field dies, any champion spells in your hand will convert back to the champions. Um, and you know, if you were, if it was a level two champion when it died, all your champions will already will stay as level two. Um, and so yeah, uh, there are artifacts where you can clone of creatures, and so you can technically have two champions of the same kind on the field, even though normally you can't just cast it that way. Um, there is no legend roll. So going back to combat, you know, once a player with an attack token declares attackers, you know, of course, no, you, you're not going to want to have more creatures, units come into play from a game design perspective. That kind of messes with the math. So uh, you drag your units onto the battlefield if you have the attack token that declares your attackers. Um, there is no, you know, um, you know, there is no way of knowing. Oh, we're into, into you know. 
uh, main phase before combat, right? There's no way to kind of do that. So you have to, you know, declare attackers. Now there is a way, there is a window, I think, where you can kind of cast spells as the blocker to start casting spells to block. Um, but um, you also, but then if you choose not to cast any spells, you can't declare blockers and then cast a spell, right? Um, before damage, there is no window between blockers and damage, I believe. Or I think there might be one. Um, but if you choose not to, it just kind of goes away and the other person can't do it. So uh, you can declare blockers. Um, the opponent opponent has you to, only to, choo to choose your blockers. Multi-blocking, like in Magic, is an option. So if you have a six health creature, um, you can't block it with two, three power creatures to block it, right? Um, you can only block with one creature at a time to one, to one blocker. Um, however, if a blocker is removed before damage is dealt, there's like an ability to recall or stun a creature Stun the creature. Um, you know the damage will be blocked unless the the, the attacker has overwhelm. Um, like I said, you know for quick strike and even double strike. There's something called double strike. Um, I think uh, it's called that, which is basically double strike in in magic. Um, those uh, you know only attack trigger on attacking, not on defending. Um, and yeah, again, I'm not fully sure on how spells interact with abilities and whatnot um, that happen during combat. Anyway, once blockers and spells are finalized, all damage and effects take resolve from left to right. They don't happen, unlike in Magic where everything happens simultaneously, there is an order to these two units class deal damage to each other. Um, maybe if there's an effect by creature taking damage or dying, that effect will trigger before the next pair of creatures will block. You don't have to block necessarily, you know, if you have uh, creatures one, two, three, four, five, uh, your opponents can maybe block one and three and let two go unblocked, basically. Um, you know, some combat, some mechanics also mess with blockers. Challenger, for example, lets attackers actually force a specific unit to block it, uh, while Fearsome prevents creatures with less than three power from blocking it. Um, you know, the last design difference I want to talk about with Runeterra is how mechanics are divvied up. Um, as I had noted before, any mana can be used to cast any spell. So what's to prevent someone from playing all of the best cards in general, like just play all of the, the heroes, right? Well, what Riot has done is divide the spells and, and the champions into different regions. Uh, each region has different mechanics and strategies, right? Um, these are somewhat analogous to the color pie in Magic, where each color has different strengths and weaknesses. Uh, within a single constructed deck, you are only allowed to have units from two different regions at most. So, you know, unlike Magic, the number of regions are not static. There are there are five colors in Magic. Uh, in Runeterra, you start, we started off with six regions, each with about 50-ish cards, a little bit more. Um, every six months, so every February and August, they release a new set. Um, each set uh, introduces a new region, um, and then within each set, you know, so there are two other times, so every, you know, two months, four times over over the year, um, new cards are introduced to all regions, April, June, and October, and December. So roughly every two months, there are updates. Um, as of right now, you know, it's August, so we're getting a new set now, um, which bringing the total number of regions up to eight. Um, and as of right now, there are six regions per champion. So let's go through the different regions so you can get, get a sense of what they're like. Um, I've grouped them, you know, I kind of tried to make analogies to what they're like in terms of Magic's color pie. Uh, Demacia uh, is analogous to Mono White. It has a lot of small creatures that get buffed, plus, you know, a lot of damage prevention. Uh, not a lot of, you know, tricky stuff when it comes to, like, direct damage or or, or removing creatures immediately. It's all through combat. Um, Freylord is probably closest to Simic. Um, they have a lot of mana generation and tapping down or reducing the power of opponents plus a lot of big creatures like yetis that have overwhelm. 
Um, Ionia is closer to Jeskai, you know, with evasive creatures, also flavorfully monks. Um, so that's a spell slinging and also a bit of disruption as well. So kind of like blue-white flyers mixed mixed with spell slinging. Uh, Noxus is closest to red-black and it's very aggressive, high power, low toughness creatures, a lot of direct burn, um, though they often don't have late game finishers. Again, if your attackers are taking damage, you know, and that damage persists, um, they're eventually going to die, and you want to just overwhelm and get the damage through early game uh, before, you know, your opponent is able to stabilize. Um, Piltover and Zaurn, they're full on Izzet. Uh, they have lots of spell slinging, lots of card drawing, and frankly, really weird effects that you normally would see in Izzet. Um, Shadow Isles is probably closest to Golgari. They have a lot of cards that recur stuff from the graveyard and often sacrifice their own creatures for value, as well as having a lot of direct kill spells. Um, Buildswater was the first expansion set. Um, it's probably closest to Grixis. Um, a lot of pirates flavor, also a lot of deep sea creature flavor. Um, it has a lot of mill, including the self mill, as well as you know effects when you deal damage to your opponent's uh, nexus. Um, a lot of random uh, effects as well, which kind of fits in with the with the Grixis colors and a lot of other tricky stuff in general. And then Targon is the newest set being revealed. Not really quite sure how it fits yet. I have a suspicion it's going to be. Maybe closer to uh, Bant potentially. Uh, I know there's a lot of green because it kind of harkens back to a lot of like werewolf mechanics with you know first spell being cast this, this turn or you know how, how many spells have been cast. It was kind of re was reminiscent of the werewolf night day transformation mechanic. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of white as well. They have like obliterate, which is kind of essentially like exile. All right, it's been like half an hour of me talking about the design of Legends of Runeterra. How does this relevant to Magic's gameplay? So Mark Rosewater, head designer of Magic, on his design blog and his podcast have said that the three main pillars of ma the root of Magic's card design are the trading card game system, the mana system, and the color pie system. All of the other things, card types, the stack, specific abilities, those have all evolved over the course of the game, right? However, these three elements are core to the game from the very beginning, and they feed into each other in a way that makes gives it a different experience than pretty much any other CC game and all you know, a lot of other game games have to take some inspiration from this, even if they have to tweak it to make it their own. So uh, the mana system acts as a form of resource management and resource limitation, right? If you are able to, let's say you could, you know, uh, cast your biggest, you know, omniscience. Uh, I think on arena, the omniscience draft on arena is you can cast any spell, you know, at any point in the game. Uh, that will lead to basically dumping out your hand turn one and lead to very fast and explosive games. So you know, you want to have let the game have some length to it, let some interplay develop. So you want to be able to cap what players do early game and free it up as they, you know, have more resources resources on in later game. So you know, this is why costing of cards is very important, right? Uh, um, you know, a two mana counter spell is a lot different than a three counter mana spell. A three mana counter spell, right? Um, a two mana three three is a lot better than a three mana three three, right? Um, so you know, a lot of magic is getting around the limits of this mana system in one way or the other. Maybe you play more efficient spells. Maybe you ramp by you know again playing mana rocks or mana dorks ahead of time, trading you know affecting the board now versus uh, having more explosive plays and having a mana advantage on your opponent later on, or you know even finding combinations of cards that can lead to infinite mana, thereby removing the limitation of the mana system. 
Now, since the mana system in Magic is tied to the land cards in the deck, that brings in a bit of variance uh, from the trading card game element, right? Uh, it's not a purely deterministic system where you specify your actions in advance and strategy game kind of like chess or go, right? Like you, it, there is no random chance that you don't know what's going to happen, right? You, if you can theoretically see into the future in a purely deterministic game, you could theoretically figure out like this is a hundred percent what is going to happen. Uh, if, if I go down this path, um, and this is the best course to take, right? Magic has a degree of variance, right? You say, okay, my odds of drawing what I need at this point are this, so I will try to build my game plan around that. You, can't, you want to minimize the variance in the game of Magic, but there will still always be some degree of variance. And, you know, if the mana, if the mana resource system is fighting against limitations of variance, uh, of of, of resource limit allocation, um, the trading card game system is playing against... Um, playing against variants. Um, a lot of comp competitive magic comes down to tuning the ratio of lands in, uh, to spells in your deck so that you are consistently hitting your cards. The You want the land per turn so you can cast the most powerful spell on it as early as you can, but you also don't want too many lands so that you know you don't have too many lands but no spells to cast with them. Um, so yeah, the trading card game, again, is basically fighting against is is, you know, player versus variants. Um, and, and eliminates the deterministic nature of the game. This does lead to some stuff with, you know, story equity of like, hey, you know, I completely got mana flooded, mana screwed. Um, that meant that this lesser player beat me, but that's okay, I can blame it on the screw, which is giving the player an out that it's not necessarily your fault. On the other hand, um, it can also give newer players a chance to be able to beat a more experienced player, um, which helps engage them and keep them involved in the game longer. Okay, so... Uh, What's to prevent you from putting all the best spells in your deck, you know, once you have the optimal number of lands, you know, given the given the mana cost of your spells? That's the color pie, right? Magic has divided the mechanics in the game among the five colors. Um, this is why people complain about white in EDH not being so strong, and back in Battle for Zendikar, green slice of the color pie was just pretty weak uh, in draft, right? So, you know, it, because they didn't, they didn't allocate the mechanics correctly and balance it against each other. So, you know, you want to not only be consistent in hitting the right type of land, but also the right color of land. And so, you know, if you're monocolor, you can definitely hit your your mana colors efficiently and make sure you're hitting everything. However, you are limiting yourself to one-fifth of the color pie, and you have all the weaknesses of the color pie. If you add more colors, say two, three, up to the five colors, uh, you have more power. You have more slices of the pie you can play with, but you don't necessarily are not. You have more variability introduced to being able to access the different mechanics uh, at the time you need it. Right? You could draw an island when you needed the swamp and so on. Right? So. All these three things come together to basically, right? Like the resource limitation of the um, of the mana system, the variability limitation of the of the trading card game system, and then kind of acting as a playing off of both the color pie system, which is the mechanical limitation of the color pie system. Those three limits, right? Limit limitations breed creativity. Come together to basically make magic what it is. What if we only had two of the three of each? If you had the mana system and the trading card game system, but no limitations on mechanics, everything just turns into a good stuff deck that you know optimizes the cur the curve versus the odds of drawing your lands. And you know, magic is a lot less less interesting as a result if everything is basically the same. This is why people complain about formats where you know. 
there's one deck that's the best deck to play clearly. Uh, mana system versus color pie system, but no, you know, trading card games, but no trading card game system. Uh, it becomes a theoretical exercise like chess of essentially choosing the best combination of cards at each point in the mana curve since you have perfect consistency. Uh, if you had the color pie system and the trading card system, but no mana system, that my friend is called Yu-Gi-Oh, where you have degenerate combos turn one, uh, where you can, you know, where the best thing to do is just this one broken archetype that can do things really, really fast, and that pushes the the, the, the power creep super hard. So, you know, that's the magic system. How does Runeterra compare to this? Uh, with the mana system, uh, you know, they still give us resources to manage, right? Runeterra, it, it, they were smart and they're like, we can't give them complete freedom, right? However, they tweaked it, you know, like with most of the little card games, to the mana replenishes each turn. So, you know, a couple side effects of this. One, you don't have to worry about adding, you know, adding... Uh, lands to your deck. This makes your decks all gas, right? Everything you do is all action. You know, games go a lot faster, and also because you have more mana available um, each turn, right, uh, more actions can be taken to move the game to eventual end state, right? If you consider a cycle in which players have the initiative to attack, so, you know, assuming no extra combat steps, in Magix, you know, my turn, your opponent's turn, that's cycle one, two mana is available if we both play the land. Um, in the second cycle, right, I now have two lands, you now have two lands, that's four mana available between the both of us. Cycle three, I have three lands, you have three lands, six mana between the two of us. So this is 12 mana total, right? Two plus four plus six. However, in Runeterra, a cycle would be two rounds, right? So round one, uh, we both have two mana. Round two, we both have four mana. So within cycle one, we have six mana. Cycle two, uh, you know, uh, as many as rounds three and four, we have six and eight mana respectively, and then cycle three has rounds five and six, which is ten and twelve mana uh, respectively, uh, to, to combine between both players. That means by cycle three in Moon Terra, there was forty-two mana available to both players, as opposed to the twelve mana available in Magic. It just accelerates for there. Um, this does mean there's a trade-off, right, uh, in terms of game design, where you know because you can't make the choice between oh, am I going to be proactive and play a creature now versus keeping up interaction or counterspell? That's kind of lost since you know you might as well just play everything as much as you can, right? Since it's all gas, um, and you know some degree of the choice between being proactive and reactive is kind of gone. Um, in addition, the fact that the mana system allows for a built-in mana banking and so like that one-time burst I described earlier, you know, uh, it's different than games that don't allow that. But subjectively, I'll say that while there are similarities in Magic to making trade-offs, um, there is a cap on how degenerate you can get in Runeterra, right? You can only get at most an additional three mana, which, you know, isn't going to necessarily make or break the game. Uh, in, a, in a single, it could, I guess, I guess technically it could, right? It could win you the game, but you're not going to be able to, you know, get to these crazy infinite mana com combos that, that magic has, um, you know, and, and, and on top of it, right? Uh, you know, well, okay. Moving to the trading card game system, uh, Runeterra has decoupled the mana system from the trading card game system. So, you know, you, you accumulate mana automatically. Again, as I noted before, this turns your entire deck into gas, um, you know, which again ties into the observation that Runeterra games move a lot faster than Magic games. Um, you also are drawing twice as many cards, um, though this is again offset by a smaller hand size, which leads to potentially a little bit more consistency with how um, games are run and being able to draw into your strategy, right? Um, I'd have to run the math on the hypergeometric calculator to figure out if this is exactly true, but I, it, it feels correct. This does reduce potential feedback moments for magic of mana screw and mana flood, um, which again I've noted before, there are reasons why you may or may not want that, right? You may want it to, you know, be able to for players to, you know, 
scapegoat the man of screw man of flood is not my skill make them feel better about the game um and also you know allow young newer players uh who are less experienced to have a chance to beat the more established players if the old, old established players get screwed or flood um you know shenanigans also like ramping out a mana advantage you know if you cast a cultivate um you know maybe this turn you are down but the idea is that on every subsequent turn you have one more mana than your opponent does right and that kind of accumulates over time um you know you can't because you can't pull lands out from your library to consistently do that you don't have that permanent plus one advantage every time um you know since ramping out lands or rocks aren't possible and then, you know, color pie system, this is, I think, perhaps my biggest, why I haven't fallen into Doom as much as I as others might have, um, compared to Magic. They do implement a two-region per constructed limit, and that d prevents it from devolving into pure good stuff. So that that's good, right? However, the freedom is that, you know, you trade off the consistency of power, which is something I enjoy in Magic. Um, Terra does have some support for mono color decks, mono faction decks, um, but, you know, if I'm, will if I'm willing to, like, hey, I'm just willing to go in on this five-color rainbow deck. I don't care if it's going to be super janky. I'm not going to be super consistent with my draws. Well, because there is no way in the mana system, because you lose out on the trading card nature of the mana and, and combined with the mana system, there is no way to limit, you know, uh, to allow for... If you allowed all of that, then uh, there's no way to really limit the... the fa to allow as many factions as possible. Uh, frankly, you know there is there is no way to do that, and and I and as much as I like to like, hey, I'm gonna do a five color deck. I'm willing to uh, give up consistency in exchange for a maximum, you know, slice of the color pie. That's just not gonna happen here. Um, maybe this is done intentionally so that uh, new players uh, have less to decide upon. You know, if you're only limited to, you know, you don't have to worry about lands in your deck. You don't have to worry if you want three or four factions, right? And and get into those deck building mistakes. Um, you know, if limiting it down to two factions maximally enforced, that's one less hurdle for new players to overcome when onboarding the game. So I can kind of see the, the logic behind it. It's just, for me, in my opinion, a saying that you don't have that absolute freedom in doing everything. Uh, beyond that, you know, there are other decisions to the gameplay. Um, combat, you know, the way that that works with, you know, creatures retaining damage between turns um, and buffs staying between turns, you know, it makes those more meaningful, but it also makes it so that, you know, creatures die more easily in combat. And so you start to use up your resources, which are your creatures, over time, and that gets you to an end state faster, be it through, you know, wearing down your opponent's blockers or you no longer having any attackers uh, to, to push through, and that gets you to an end state where, you know, somebody is going to win quicker. Um this isn't a bad thing. You know, I think it comes down to what your ideal game length is, either as a player or as an esports company. You know, if you're looking for views on Twitch, you want you don't want games to be going on forever, you want it to be all gas, that kind of makes sense. Um, you know, even though again, the enlightened mechanic, which triggers when you only have 10 mana in your mana pool, is the way to force the game toward the end state the longer the game goes on. Um, there are also, you know, advantages and disadvantages to being on a digital platform, as I mentioned, right? Uh, Riot does have the liberty to design cards and later, if they find them to be too powerful or too weak, a lot of them with an update. For example, the champion Brom, uh, he premiered as a 3-mana 0-5 with Regenerate. Uh, and obviously, had his level of ability, but let's just focus on the level 1 form. Uh, in one patch, he was changed to a 4-mana 1-5 with Regenerate, and he would also create a token when he survived damage for the first time in the game. However, it was found that the additional power was a little bit too much on top of creating a token, uh, even going up to four mana. So they, so in a future patch, he was moved back down to a zero five uh, with the additional token. Um, 
Now his level two also got patches as well, but I'm not gonna go into those. Uh, Magic obviously doesn't have this ability to errata card text for balance outside of a very extreme circumstances, such as with the companion mechanic. Otherwise, they would have just eroded Oko's planeswalker abilities to have different values instead of banning him. You know, as noted before, the digital nature does allow for the games to track things not currently possible in paper. Uh, for example, the card Timo attaches these mushrooms to random cards in your opponent's deck, so whenever the opponent draws a card, they take damage equal to the number of mushrooms on the card. Already hard to track, but you know, Timo's leveled up when he levels up and he deals damage directly to the opponent, it doubles the number of mushrooms in the deck, uh, which again, not something you can do in paper. Um, you know, other things like persistent damage or applying buffs to be permanent to creatures, I guess kind of like auras potentially, but like without having a card attached to them, you know, those are possible because of this as well. So on the flip side, you know, design constraints, you know, are put in place because of the digital platform. Uh, you have a limit on the number of cards in hand, cards, spells on the stack, number of creatures on the battlefield. Those don't exist in Magic per se, um, unless you really try to make MDG online. But um, you know they do in Runeterra. Part of this maybe is for UX, maybe it's for other system limitations reasons. Um, another example is that life is capped at 20 in Runeterra. You can't heal above 20, which theoretically, I guess there could be shenanigans. You could theoretically go infinite knife, which they don't really want to have to deal with. So in addition to, you know, as of right now, there are no permanent, uh, sorry, there are no activated abilities in Runeterra on creatures. Um, again, whether this is because of UX concerns or concerns with how they would interact with the stack, I don't really know, but that's what how it is right now. And then one other thing is that I wish that they would do, right? I hope that they do it some pieces. There's no real meaningful way to interact with the graveyard. There are mechanics that do interact with the graveyard, but there currently is no place on the board to look at your graveyard and and make, you know, I want to pick this creature out. It kind of limits design space with what you can do in mechanics to be a lot more discreet, right? As opposed to giving the player a lot more choice. Part of that you can see in Magic's design with newer cards, where as Arena has become more, they've made a lot more cards that require less clicks to make it, you know, a lot more direct and a lot more deterministic, right? So digital definitely has an influence on how cards and mechanics get designed. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to make a judgment on whether a magic system is better than Runeterra's or vice versa. Rather, again, I want to fo understand what is and isn't possible in magic because of its design, and then also look at other CCGs and see how they'll gain systems designed for magic, what's possible from there, and then gain a better appreciation not only of magic system, but of Runeterra's system and what both have to offer. You know, magic obviously has the benefit of 27 years of design experience. Runeterra has been around for less than a year. Um, I'm also way more well-versed in the magic rule set than Runeterra's rule set. So, you know, I'm still not entirely sure how things work with the stack, with abilities. Um, so I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more biased toward magic. That said, Runeterra does have the ability to look at magic, stand on the soldiers of giants, so to speak, and learn from their mistakes or so-called mistakes. Um, you know, I mean, the, the lead designer is a magic pro tour winner. So, you know, there definitely is some influence, I feel. Um, it seems that, you know, Runeterra, in my opinion, and my analysis is that Runeterra has chosen to trade off some of the freedom and variability and creativity that magic allows its users to, you know, play with its rule system in order to exchange, in, in order for more consistency in its gameplay as well as overall speed, right? There's definitely a, a much more of a heavy focus on getting to the end game, whereas magic, some games can just dawdle on forever as anyone who's played in, uh, you know, a five or five plus person EDH game can attest to, right? Uh, you know, games can go on for a really long time in Magic, they are a lot faster in Runeterra because everything is designed toward making 
things happen faster in the game, right? There's no, you know, dead draws which just land. Like everything you draw is action, right? You draw twice as many cards. You have more than twice as much mana as the game goes on, right? Uh, you have things dying quicker, and there's no way to kind of like, um, you know, wear off. Well, there is, but it's a lot rarer to just wear off damage and have things be resilient and and stall things out. Um, you know, this is better suited for a company that's esports minded first and foremost, as opposed to a game originally meant for rounds between of D and D, right? You know, in a way, the fact that Magic was now I'm talking about it, Magic was originally meant for tabletop role players who had a rule system, right? The Dungeons and Dragons and the tabletop role playing rules. They had a system, but the collaborative storytelling of let's see what we can do with these rules and see how far we can take it and with our creativity. That's what I think Magic is at the core of Magic, and it's. The ultimate form of, I think, freedom and expression in tabletop card gaming. The rule set is flexible enough that fans can create their own formats like Commander or Oathbreaker. Um, it can lead to crazy board states that would never be designed by someone in R&D, something a digital game first would try to avoid lest they break the client. Again, for a game that is definitely focused on you know, being all about gas, all about action, having concise games, Legends of Runeterra hits them all in the head and props to them for being able to do that. You know, again, I might be biased toward Magic for saying they're all about freedom and all that, but um, yeah, I think that that's that's kind of where I see, I stand. So, be it faster gameplay and all gas, or be it the freedom of gameplay and greater story equity, you know, both Legends of Runeterra and Magic: The Gathering have different things to offer. If you're a Runeterra player who's interested in Magic after listening to this, welcome aboard. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Let me know if you have any questions about the game. If you're a Magic player who's interested in trying out Runeterra after listening to this, I recommend you check out the Legends of Runeterra subreddit. Um, and also, you know, hopefully I'll meet you in the rift with my Poro deck. Poros are kind of like slivers, uh, but rounder and a lot more fluffier. And they can also combine into a giant monstrosity called the Heart of the Fluffed. Uh, it combines all those powers and stats and abilities. I might try to make a custom card, but anyway, uh, enough of that. Super janky, par for the course for me. Um, you know, I may revisit Rune Terror in a later episode. You know, I haven't even touched how they've done, you know, Limited at all, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, and Riot has other games. Like I mentioned earlier, Teamfight Tactics has a pretty interesting take on Draft, which, which I want to talk about at some point. So... In any case, you know, this casting of pod is, is slowly coming to its resolution. Um, are there other digital card games you think I should examine and break down like I did here? Uh, are you going to try out Runeterra? If you do play Runeterra, you know, is there anything I missed or got incorrect? Um, let me know on Twitter at EtherVortexPod or via email at IntoTheEtherVortex at Zeno.com. You can find Into the Ether Vortex on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And you can leave a review on any of those podcast stores or on podchaser.com. Links in the show notes. Uh, you can reach out to me with ideas or feedback. My architect um, with all my deck lists is linked under the username Ninja Boy, boy with an I. Uh, I also stream Magic Arena some Friday nights. You know, it's been kind of spotty lately, but I stream it on Twitch sometimes at NinjaBoy333. Uh, the intro and outro music is provided by Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. We cast this pod every second and fourth Fridays of the month. Until then, may your lands be plentiful, but not too plentiful. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.